you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 34, is where we're going to be at. You've probably seen your handout before, you've seen the title of this, it's Behold Our God. It's not the first time that I've preached on beholding God as a means of worship and a, as a means of growing in our relationship with Christ. And so we're going to be uh, looking at that scripture in just a little bit, but I've got just a little bit of an introduction about what it, what does it actually mean to behold something? And when we say behold our God or behold anything, what does it really mean? Well, I just went simply to the dictionary and looked up what behold means, and it means to see or observe a thing or person, especially a remarkable or impressive one. So if the word behold fits for other things, then surely it fits with our God, right? When we want to behold him and look at him, he surely is a remarkable or impressive thing for us to do that. And so that is my one attempt today is to get us to slow down and to learn how to behold God. There's been great benefits in beholding God. An earlier scripture that I wanted to quote before we get into our scripture for today, but it's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. You don't have to turn there, it's just one verse. But it's really telling about the importance of beholding the Lord, beholding his glory. And so listen to this and see how it might apply to you. It's Paul, of course, teaching and he's saying, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So just looking at that scripture for a minute, it, said, it tells us something very uh, telling, I think. As we behold the glory of the Lord, however we do that, we'll talk about how we do that. But as we behold the glory of the, God, of the Lord, we ourselves are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So in other words, as we behold Jesus, as we have a picture of him before us, then we are being changed from one degree of glory into another like him. So how do we behold Jesus? How do we behold Jesus? Do we have a physical representation that we can look at. Well, no, we do not. We don't have a physical representation. And if you see a physical representation, it's really not Jesus look like. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 that his appearance, when we, I think we did this last week and during the Lord's Supper, but his appearance was nothing spectacular. He was just an ordinary looking person, right? There's nothing about his physical appearance that would make him stand out. And so it's not, we don't behold him in a physical sense, but as we look at scripture, right? As we look at scripture and he, how he is described in scripture, his characters, uh, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his wrath against sin, his judgment. As we look at all those things in scripture and as we apply that same uh, criteria to our own life, then we can be changed from one degree of glory to another. And this, of course, he says, is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not a work that we do. We participate, I believe, 
by being in the Word of God, we participate, and by not only looking at characteristics of Christ, but, uh, but also uh, how he loved people, how he cared for people, how he healed people. Uh, we look at those examples of how he treated people, and we follow that same example. So in this scripture that we're about to read in Acts, we're going to be looking at reasons why we should behold our God and different areas where we can grow. So with that set aside, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word as we go through Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 48. And uh, it's a long section of scripture, but uh, it's actually Peter sharing the gospel after he had learned that he was okay to share the gospel with Gentiles. And so uh, in Acts it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the people to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him through believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to read this section of scripture and we're thankful that it has been preserved and given to us today just as it was when it was first written. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can study it. We thank you that as believers, you have given us a Holy Spirit to interpret this and to understand what Peter was trying to say. And then mostly to apply that to our lives so that we can become more like your son, Jesus Christ and to exemplify him in this world and to magnify and extol him in this world. And so we pray that you would help us to understand as we go down through this section of scripture, to understand the meaning, 
to understand the application for us and for the courage to be able to apply these things to our life. And we thank you in advance for your great work, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you can probably tell, as most sermons in the New Testament, either whether it's Peter's or Paul, they're very densely packed with a lot of information. So we may not cover everything. We're not going to go down through this verse by verse. But first thing, let me just say, isn't it true that our God is a God worthy of worship and our praise? Amen. Amen. He surely is, right? And really, we, we have no reason to be ashamed of that or to hold back uh, with that in any way. In fact, I think a lot of times unbelievers are looking for us uh, to be bold and to see, do they really believe what they say they believe? Are they willing to speak out loud about it? And so I think that we should do that. And there's some that are things that are given to us very clearly, and they're written on your handout just so you can take those home along with you and write down some notes of yourself. But I put down here, I started every section with behold our God. This is what we want to do. We want to behold him. We want to understand that, first of all, our God shows no partiality. And that is very good news for us today. We go back to the original scriptures, verses 34 and 35, and Peter says there, he says, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable due to him. That's very good news. In fact, it's a great promise that's given to us as well. We are commanded to go to all the nations, right? To every nation, tribe, and tongue and share the gospel. The good news is that because of this, we know that there are people in each of those people groups who will come out of that and be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Very good news, amen? amen. So in case you haven't noticed it, I know it's hard to do because we live in America and we're kind of isolated, but Christianity is not merely uh, an American religion. <laughs> in fact, it is uh, a religion throughout the whole world. And it surely has not spread as far as what we would like it to spread. But we know that there are believers in places like Russia. There are believers in places like Afghanistan and China and Japan and Iran and many of them are suffering because of where they live. There's many believers in South Korea. There's probably believers in North Korea who are suffering for the sake of them knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so it's good news that God does not show any partiality. And it's good news that he can save even the most hardened sinner. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he can save even the most hardened believer, uh, sinner? Because if we don't, usually it's because we think that this is a work of man. But salvation is not a work of man. We are involved in the work. He has, through his providential care, uh, give us, given us responsibility in bringing people to come to know Christ. But the fact of actually how people come to know Christ, it is the work of the Spirit. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. That's a work of the Spirit, folks. That's not a work of us. That's a work of the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Behold our God, he shows no partiality. We can go to any place on this planet Earth and we can expect that there will be people who will be saved if we share the gospel with them. As far as I can see, the most limiting factor is our willingness to go and share the gospel with people. But it's not limited because of God. God does not show partiality. He's not partial to any nation. Um, he, he, but anyone in every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so we must be urgent about sharing the gospel. We must be urgent about getting it to those countries who do not have it. Secondly, behold our God. Our God became like us and lived for us. Amen? <laughs> he became like us and he lived for us. Jesus Christ was born as a baby, born as a man. He became the second Adam, right? The first Adam was, of course, Adam of Adam and Eve who disobeyed in the garden and uh, caused all the ruin that we see in our world today. And because of that, our nature was changed and we need a second Adam to come and to die for our sins. And that is who Jesus was. Jesus was a man who was appointed, anointed by God and empowered by God. So think back to the time when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. You remember the story of that happening and how the Holy Spirit descended from God and lit on Jesus Christ, showing that he was the anointed one of the, or the Messiah and that he had been empowered by God for the ministry that he was about to take. Even Jesus had to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course he does because he is God who is in the flesh. Jesus is Lord over all at the same time as being man. Now it's difficult for us to understand, but this is a true statement. Jesus is 100% man and Jesus is 100% God. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to us, but in the eternity of things and the way the Bible describes Jesus, it describes, describes him as a man because he had to die for the human race, right? He had to die for us. It calls him uh, God because he was God who came in the flesh and dwelt among us, according to John chapter one, verses one and, and, four, and also 14. Jesus is God who became flesh. And both those are important and essential. He was the one who created all things and for whom all things exist. Everything that we see, everything in this room, everything in this town, everything in this nation, everything in this earth, everything in this galaxy, everything in this on and on and on was created by him and was created for him. He is Lord over it all. And the thing about it is we talk sometimes about a person coming to know Christ and uh, acknowledging or making Christ Lord of their life. That's really kind of a misnomer. He's Lord regardless of what, whether we make him Lord of our life. Amen. He's, he's Lord whether 
we make him Lord of our life or not. But a believer should surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new Adam. What did he do for us? Well, behold our God. Our God died for our sins. That's good news, folks. That's worth an amen there. Not because I said it, but because it's scriptural. He died for our sins. And when we believe and trust in him, it changes everything. He was hung on a tree. Think about that. Hung on a tree, cursed for our sake, forsaken by God. He paid the debt fully. I'm going to read one more time. We've looked at this section of scripture several times this week if you've been to all the different services that services that we've had but this is true about jesus even though it's written in isaiah 53 it says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sin was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I read this today. This was on Facebook. It could have been one of you who posted it. I'm not sure. But the quote is from John MacArthur says he stayed on the cross not because he couldn't come down he stayed on the cross because he wouldn't come down and i believe that the savior shed tears for those who shed his very blood such is the compassion of god and the gift of salvation amen, amen. Yep. that's so true about our savior and our lord jesus christ who gave everything for us he died for our sins Behold our God, our God conquered death. He lives and he reigns. Literally, Jesus came up out of the grave, amen? amen. A real body, not a corporal body, not a ghostly body, but a real body, a resurrected body, a much stronger body, a body that has different powers, uh, a body like we will have. We will have a body like Jesus's. We've been learning on Wednesday nights, uh, studying about heaven. <coughs> But he lit, has a literally bodily resurrected body. The disciples were with him. They saw him. When Thomas put the, his uh, fingers into the nail prints and into his side. Uh, they ate with Jesus. They drank with him. God literally rose Jesus from the dead. And he's come the second time when he comes to judge the living and the dead. That's what our scripture here today says is that he will be the judge of the living and of the dead. Such a tremendous savior we have who conquered death and lives and he reigns as well. What does he reign over? Well, um, the Great Commission, um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, starts out by saying, by Jesus quoting, says, all power and authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, right? He is over all things. He's over every person here. He's over the whole universe. And he judges the living and the dead. Behold our God. 
our God forgives sin. We see that in the scripture that we've read here today. First of all, we see that he was raised on the third day and he made him to appear. That's in verse 40. Uh, it says in verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Amen. Amen. That's good news, right? Very good news. It's not by works. We have a tendency to think that. Uh, we've been talking about that lately, about popular culture. If you were to ask someone how they were to be saved, and most of them would say, well, as long as the good outweighs the bad, as long as I have the scale and the good outweighs the bad, then I'm going to make it. But we know that our God is holy and that one sin would be enough to keep us out of heaven. And we have <coughs> sinned multiple times. And so Jesus must have died for all of those sins in order for us to have forgiveness. Atonement of our sin means that sin is covered up. It doesn't mean that it's just brushed <coughs> under a rug, but it means it's obliterated, that it no longer exists. And he has forgiven us that way. It says here that the outpouring of the Spirit happens and many people here in the presence of Peter are saved. Look at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. It's so essential that we understand. I know sometimes we get, uh, we get discouraged because we share the gospel with someone and there's no response. But here it says that it's the Holy Spirit and the Word. The Holy Spirit must be working. The Holy Spirit must be regenerating people, must be causing them to be born again. We go on and read in verse 44, it says, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And of course, this goes back to the fact that God shows no partiality. He's not just the God of the Jews. He is the God of all people, even the Gentiles. We talked about a little bit in Sunday school about fear and joy, was it? We were talking about how could, how could you have fear and joy both, but I believe these believers here experienced some of that. There was so much power here of the Holy Spirit that there was a certain amount of fear, but there was also great joy that these people were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so our God forgives sins, and aren't you thankful that he does? Amen. So we must acknowledge Jesus Christ as a Lord. We must fear God. We must repent of our sins. And all this is described in the Bible as a free gift. Sounds like we do a lot of this, right? And we do do that. We must, we must choose Christ, but it's empowered in us by the Holy Spirit and at his will and at his providence. You might ask, well, what is the importance of works? We ask this in my class. The reason I get confused sometimes is I have a high school class and we're now going through uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Ever read Pilgrim's Progress? 
So we're going through that book, and it's a very theological book. It's almost like a, it's almost kind of like reading a comic book. It's an allegory. It's about the story about an, a man named Christian who is leaving his city of destruction and walking to the celest, great celestial city, which is represents heaven. So it's all about, really about a Christian's walk on this earth. And we were talking about works, the importance of works, and and do works contribute to our salvation at all? And of course the answer is no, they, they do not contribute to our salvation, but they do validate our faith after we become a Christian, right? So Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. So it is true that works do not gain us entrance into heaven. It's only by faith alone in Christ through grace. But it is true that when you are a true Christian that you will have good works. We were created for God works, for good works. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy to do those works for the Lord. He's been so gracious to me. And one of the things that I want to do is extol God. And you see that the last part of your handout that we, as a result of everything that God has done for us and as we behold him, what should our response be? Well, we should become more like him, but we should extol him. That's one of the things that we have been left on this earth to do is to tell others about Christ. You may not tell everyone the whole story of Christ each day, but you can say something good about them, about the Lord, right? You can say that this is a beautiful day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's many ways that we can declare the virtues of God. So often it comes up in our culture today that if God is loving, why are things so terrible in the world? Do you have an answer for that person? I think there's answers in the Bible. There are answers in the Bible to that question. Shouldn't we be ready to give them that answer? So there's a lot of things uh, that we do. Bible study. Wednesday night Bible study, learning about heaven, learning about discipleship and other pe and ways to help people is a way of preparing ourselves so that we can have those answers. And so we extol our God, but one thing I wanna do in closing here today is that if you've never given your heart and soul and surrendered to Christ, why not choose today as the day when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior and begin to walk and follow after him? Why not let today be the beginning of your Christian walk and follow through with baptism and being baptized? Maybe there's someone here who's a Christian but they've never been baptized. We do that here. <laughs> it's been a while, but we do that here. We baptize people because it's important for someone who proclaims Christ to come to the church and do that publicly so that others can see. And then maybe there's some others here who, you know, would like to join Freedom Baptist Church. Membership at a church is important. It really is. It's important that you become a member of a church, a place that will help you grow in your walk with Christ and keep you accountable. So we have many things, many aspects of God that we can behold and look at, right? And we can benefit from those. It should change our life.
from one degree of glory to another. And so let us make it our purpose to behold God as in, during our daily time of scripture and, and uh, Bible study so that we can extol him to the rest of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at the Bible and especially what it says about beholding the glory of the Lord and what that means. And it, sometimes the Bible uses words that we're not in ways that we're not used to. And so it really just means to look at how glorious God is and how wonderful that he is. And as we look at that and with the power of the Holy Spirit and our intentional effort, we become more like Jesus Christ. And when we become more like Jesus Christ, we are more pleasing to the Father and we are more attractive in a sense to those who are unbelievers. They're curious about our life and what makes it different. And that's something that we want them to see. Doesn't mean that we ever become perfect, but it means we're on our path to becoming like Christ who will one day change us in the twinkling of an eye into our own resurrected bodies and we will be with you forever in heaven. And so guide and direct us. Help us in this last song to consider the claims of the Bible as we've seen them today and to decide our path according to the leading of your spirit. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.